Is everybody ready? Let's get rolling. This is The Big Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're going to talk to Riley Nelson coming up here momentarily. Got a couple more suggestions for uh, the overused uh, national narratives. Uh, Will, the social distancer, comes in with uh, Donovan Mitchell's dad as an executive with the New York Mets. That's a good one. And then uh, you Chasta trailer says, or that Renee Ingalls was considered a bigger star in Australia than Joe. (laughs) Yeah. Or the fact that she she uh, was a, a a netball player that uh, that of course gets used a lot. Uh, all right, let's get out to the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Joining us now, uh, he's a former BYU quarterback, current BYU analyst, Riley Nelson, with us here on the Big Show. Hi, Riley. How are you? Hey, good to be with you guys today. So I'm gonna warn you. We got a lot of random stuff we gotta we gotta run by you today. So just a just a little heads up on your part. Starting with, uh, Gordon and I are joking around about overused national narratives. We were joking around about Zach Wilson and how uh, we we love hearing over and over again that he grew up a Ute fan, uh, or that he he drove uh, six thousand miles a weekend to work out with John Beck. Uh, when when you were playing, what was what was yours? What was the overused narrative about you? Because I, I I would say it was that you grew up in a Utah State family. Yeah, and then uh, I felt like you know, I didn't watch the TV copy a lot, but I do feel like every time I did, they mentioned that I transferred from Utah State and yeah. that they actually modified the NCAA rule. Um, as a result of that, as a result of the kind of yep. hubbub around that transfer, so that that would probably be that one. And then my my second random one, uh, speaking of Utah State, is Gordon and I got into a really absurd conversation the other day about hoisting players, teammates hoisting players onto their shoulders, and uh, I think you are one of the few people I actually know that was hoisted onto his teammates' shoulders when you were a freshman at Utah State, right? Yeah, my first start, it was homecoming. There was a very bleak start to that season. We were 0-5, uh, had not managed well. We had managed to score one offensive touchdown. We had returned a uh, pump for a touchdown and had uh, a fumble return for a touchdown, but only had one, and that was actually uh, when I got thrown in against Idaho in the fourth quarter in garbage time. Anyway, we put we were 28-point underdogs to Fresno State in Rummy Stadium on homecoming. And we end up winning the game in the final 30 seconds of the game. And, yeah, I still, uh, to this day, teammates uh, Darby and Rob threw me up on there. They snapped a picture of it, and and uh, it remains in Google Images to this day. Bad, bad haircut and all. So, so, Riley, since Jake has never experienced being hoisted, uh, could you explain to him what that feels like? <laughs> well, it's uh, – it's always unexpected, and your first initial reaction is like, "What are what? Whose hands are down there, and what exactly is their purpose?" <laughs> but, but then, when you realize that they're just trying to celebrate and throw you up, and really, it's done in a moment of excitement uh, by your teammates, you, you kind of go along with it. After about uh, after about three seconds and and, a, and one fist pump, you're looking down and saying, "All right, guys, this is over with. Get me down, please." 
So, and this is the the last random thing I'll I'll throw by you, and then we can get down to business talking about uh, BYU football. But Gordon wrote a column yesterday in the Salt Lake Tribune uh, talking about the the concept of of platooning quarterbacks. You know, play basically, you know, getting use out of two quarterbacks. And uh, in early in your career at BYU, you were in that situation. So, I am curious to your uh, take on the concept of platooning quarterbacks. Yeah, I think uh, one of the reasons why it's yet to be successful is because there's always an there's always too easy of an excuse. In other words, like if things aren't going good, oh, it's on the QB, and like, and so throw in the other guy. Um, that's another thing. The other thing is like even so within a staff and players. Now players aren't as much as a staff, but staffs have their implicit biases as well. So you have just in the formation of a game plan, you don't have coaches really kind of on the same page. Everyone's kind of going through a process of saying what they think the coordinator wants to hear rather than, than their true opinion. And, and those are some of the tough just dynamics, like people dynamics, that make it hard to do. I And then here's the last thing I'll say is that, um, and I actually got reached out to, apparently Arkansas State has had pretty good success. They've got two QBs, both on pace to throw for 2,000 yards. They're, you know, they kind of do things a little bit different. They're both having general success. Um, you know, and they're, they're five games into the season. And the last thing I'll say on the QQB is pretty much everybody, uh, and, the, and this is an old-school way of thinking, gives up on it too quick. I, I think it could be done, um, but it would take a coaching staff that's going to decide. I don't think anyone's gone in and said, you know what, we're looking for two quarterbacks to play at the same time. We're going to recruit two quarterbacks to play at the same time. We have designed our offense to play two different quarterbacks at the same time. They always approach it with the fact of, well, we couldn't really decide to spring ball and fall camp, so we're going to play it. We're going to let it play out in the early few weeks of the game. And so nobody's given it a, a full test or a full experiment to see if it works because it's always just been an extension of fall camp to eventually arrive at the traditional model of only playing one guy. Gordon, did you write your? Did you write the piece? Because like, is there rumor that Utah might be doing that, or what? What sponsored the piece? Well, what what spurred it was just that they had not they haven't decided on one starter. And so yeah. I was just I was just tossing it around. I wasn't uh, endorsing the idea. I would, and I talked. Most of the people I talked to uh, fell into the camp that you just described. That uh, you know they like having one guy and one leader. And leader was a big part of it. Leadership and uh, sending a message to the team that and to the quarterback that this is our guy. Everybody fall in line behind him. Yeah, which can work. It can work well if your guy has earned the respect of his teammate and he produces on the field, but it can also be one that possibly is more detrimental to your team if you anoint a guy and, and or that, so you you anoint a guy and uh, and he hasn't earned the respect of his teammates. That's obviously not a sure foundation. Or you have a guy who's maybe earned the respect of his team, but then his play doesn't back it up. The thing about your leaders is, yeah, they got to be good, solid guys off the field or their teammates respect. But they also have to be in, you know, I'd say on a football team, they have to be in your handful, you know, your your top five best players. You can't you can't lead if you're not out there producing as well. But anyway, it, it'll be interesting to see uh, up there with Utah. I would say if anyone were to try it, I think it'd be I think a guy like Witt. Uh, now I do think he's very traditional from a leadership standpoint, but I also I think he's shown over time that um, you know the. 
the offense, and I don't want to speak. This is this is Riley's opinion and observer, right? I'm not going to put words in his mouth, but like they're a defense and special teams first, and the offense just kind of don't screw it up or get in the way of the defense and special teams. So uh, they might be willing uh, or open enough to try an experiment like that. Follow-up question for you, Riley, on that is, do you think that the, do the players usually know who the best player, is, who the best quarterback is, or are there are there legitimate circumstances where eh, half the team might go one way and half the team goes the other way, and for good reason? I think Jake and I were legitimately in that, and so there would be if you came to any random, normally scheduled, you know, eighteen twenty-one period practice. You'd be there, and you'd be like, "Oh, Jake's clearly the best." Then, if you came to one that was like a, a a team or a scrimmage scenario, and especially one where they weren't quick with the whistle, and allowed me to extend plays or create outside of the uh, outside of the offense, you'd come away from that being like, "I don't know," but like Riley can do some things that can can get you out of jam, and maybe by by a little bit longer leash within the offense. You know, if you don't execute 100%, he can still make something positive, even if even if a guy misses a blocker or, or this or that. And I think we were truly in a scenario like that. I think the staff was somewhat divided on that. I think the team was somewhat divided on that. Uh, and and it was something. And granted, that first try of where we were where we were splitting time, uh, that that didn't really solve it, right? I, I had an injury versus Florida State that caused me to come out, and then. It was really the the contrast of when I got thrown in against Utah State and being able to come back is is what eventually um, you know allowed at least the majority of people to feel good on a decision. It's like you know what we need a guy who can kind of we're, we're the type of team we need a guy who can bail us out, run around, make some plays when things aren't you know maybe if the it's not there in the play design he can still make something happen and still try and keep the chains moving. And for the type of team we were at that time. I was perhaps a better player, but as I mentioned before, on any given practice day, that wouldn't always be the case. Riley Nelson with us uh, here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Let's talk about uh, the Coug team currently. What did you learn from their toughest test uh, against Houston? Yeah, I think that um, I keep using this word uh, maturity or or maybe progression is is another word, but I think that team – that, that same team, right, that same core of guys last year probably folds. I mean, I feel like I saw it against San Diego State. That's the game that everyone focuses on, like Toledo and South Florida and obviously the way they lost the bowl game. Um, but you look at two of their other losses, Washington and San Diego State, and they were kind of ho-hum. Washington, I think, was the better team, so that was not much surprise there. But if you remember, BYU started pretty good in that game. That was one of the few games where they started fast in the first quarter. They let go of it in the second quarter, and the route was on. Same with San Diego State had a pretty good had a pretty good first quarter. The offense started to sputter in the second quarter, and basically they could not get any mojo or any momentum back for the rest of the game, and they eventually got submitted into a defeat, right? This game, it was the very same thing, and I think there was a, a feeling as we were kind of watching the crowd there, which the stadium was half full of BYU fans, them sitting on their feet, they had lost their enthusiasm, they had lost their energy. There was a little bit of momentary belief, at least from the out, loss of belief from the outside that, oh, here we go again. We started off hot, but now the offense, now you know they've seemed to figure out what we can do. They've put in drives together against our defense, and uh, and everyone kind of threw up their hands. It 
up the sideline did not. And Kalani's, uh, you know, Kalani's half comments at halftime, he was very reassured. He said, we'll make our adjustments. It's a long game. We've still got 30 minutes of play left. I'm, I'm anxious to see how these guys come out and respond after, after such a poor second quarter. And for them to come out and respond the way they do, or the way that they did, to battle through that third quarter and then absolutely run away with it in the fourth shows that they, to me, they exercised some of those demons from years prior where kind of they threw up their hands and gave in. So of all, if you, if we were to limit you to a paragraph, O'Reilly, uh, in making a, a, defend, a declarative statement about Zach Wilson, what would your story be? What would your narrative be on this guy? Uh, yeah, I'd lead with, I think he is an, an NFL player. I don't think... So here's the thing, here's the crazy thing about what everybody does with draft grade, right? Draft order is a lot more determined by needs and who's available and who comes out of their draft and what the, what that class is like, right? Like in some quarterback classes, that could be a top three guys. Other quarterback classes, like he's not even the top, in the top ten, right? A lot of that stuff's outside your control, and that controls the draft order far more than the talent level of the guy, as well as what teams are actually in the market to get as a player. But I would just flat out say I think he's an NFL prospect. I think he's a draftable prospect. How high? Like I said, that that remains to be seen. Is he a finished prospect as a college football player? No. I think he's shown some tremendous skill. I think he's got some great work. I think as a thrower of the football, he's, a, he's very complete. I also think his understanding of the game and his ability to process is really good. I don't feel that this particular season it has been tested to the degree that I'd like to see it to call him a bona fide, you know, a bona fide campus prospect. I think that he has done extremely well against the competition. He's shown vast improvement from last year. He's done extremely well against the, co- the competition this year. But the reality is, through five games, he's only been sacked like four times, which means that he hasn't really faced a bona fide, and he hasn't been really hurried or pressured. Now, part of that is he's getting the ball out of his hands, which is good. But the other part of it is he's just, you know, his offensive front has had an advantage against the defensive front that's trying to disrupt his world. So while he's shown vast improvements there, um, I, I don't think he's he's been pressured, at least to the degree that he would be pressured in the NFL. So that remains to be seen. And the only chink in his, in his armor, kind of in the base foundations of it, that I think for him to truly be like a can't-miss NFL guy and and really be i mean he's already in the upper echelon of college quarterbacks but really to be put himself among the elite of the elite and i'm not talking about for awards or notoriety but i'm just talking about purely on the merits of their play is as great as he is throwing the ball down the field and in the intermediate and when he's off platform it's so surprising to me how many short to intermediate throws he's just off target, right? Like one where maybe it needs to be on his front shoulder and it's on his back hip, or maybe it needs to be right on his chin and he's got to reach for it. There's too many slants that bring guys to the ground. There's too many quick outs that, that fall at the feet, sail out of bounds. There's too many hitches that a receiver has to go to a knee on for me to be like, oh, this guy's the complete package you can't miss. I think he's He's tremendous. Uh, and by the way, he's only a true junior. He's a kid who's 20 years old. And I, I, even if he wanted to, I don't think he could grow two whiskers on his chin, right? So there's plenty of room and plenty of space before this guy reaches his ceiling. But uh, there would kind of be my evaluation on him. Riley, what did you think about the, the defense without uh, Kairos Tonga and how they adjusted without uh, that dominant force? Yeah, I mean, BYU, Kalani said this, and I think this comes from his time from being with Coach Whittingham and at Utah. You've got to be able to play man coverage. Obviously, that was not something that Coach Manahal 
really coached or was part of his philosophy or scheme. And 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 so for years, BYU did not re- recruit the type of guys that were able to do that. Or if there were guys in the program that were able to play man coverage, they didn't they didn't put them in those positions to even see if they could or could not be successful. But that was what allowed that was the change. That was what allowed them to compensate for the lack of Kairos Sanga was going man coverage, so and putting a fourth man down. But what man coverage allowed them to do was still give help over the top of some guys. It wasn't like you didn't see a lot of cover zero or a lot of one. You still saw two safeties high, but that extra guy um, was taken out of the zone and put on the on the line, which made it so they had to line up man to man. That to me was one of the biggest things and and i mean kudos to that uh, uh, by the way big 12 refs like they'll take any game that game could have been done in three hours and 10 yeah. minutes and of course it was over four any big 12 crew watch out um but i thought they did a good job of playing fast interference houston came out very physical that's what called the lull for caused the lull for byu they were playing your really physical grabby you know contact type of man-to-man coverage byu came out in the second half and said all right they haven't thrown the flag against them we're going to try it they were able to get away with it they weren't dion right they weren't shadowing them they weren't taking a step before they were they played a real physical kind of maybe what you'd like to call sloppy man coverage but the refs, I feel like, called a pretty even and fair game as far as letting that go both ways, and that allowed BYU to compensate for Kyrus Tongan, get a little bit of pass rush, and give a different look in the second half, which made all the difference. Riley, what would you have done if you had been on the field and an opposing player came up to you and spit in your face? Yeah, I, um, my high school coach always said, cause, so if you got an unsportsmanlike conduct, and by the way, so here's this goes all the way back to being a high school, right? 14-year-old Riley at Logan High. He would say, it's always the second guy that gets caught. If you do get caught and you do get unsportsmanlike conduct, our rule, it didn't matter who you were. And he did this. I remember a game when our starting quarterback, when I, I was a sophomore, our starting quarterback got unsportsmanlike co- conduct, and we they sat him in a game that was, like, pivotal for our region championship. They sat him for the rest of the game. That was just his team rule. And then – and then lastly, he said, if anything does it to you, he said, tell, tell him, see you in 30 seconds or point at the scoreboard if we were winning. So because that had been ingrained in me at such a, such a young age, uh, I probably would have pointed at the scoreboard if we were up or said, see you in 30 seconds. But if the college me would have also tried to go to the ref and get some attention because if you can get a free 15 yards at any point, you know, you want to take it. Riley, we appreciate you uh, jumping on the show. And, and listen, if you ever need any advice about uh, dealing with a high-maintenance broadcast partner, you can just uh, send me an email. <laughs> I know where to go. You yeah, got it, buddy. just a tweet away. Oh. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks, Riley. Riley Nelson with us here on The Big Show. Nice parting cheap shot there. <laughs> I got you and Greg in the same, uh, in the same joke. <laughs> so very funny. Boom. We, of course, we of course we love Greg Rubel. He he comes on the show often. He's great, and uh, I thought Riley was really good right there. A good guest to have on. He he was yeah. able to give us some expertise on a number of different topics. That was nice. Yeah, that was that was really good stuff. That stuff he All was talking around. about uh, the with he and Jake Heaps and and that uh, you know you and I were both around covering that situation at uh, at BYU and yeah the the team was totally split. You, you could you could almost sense it. You know. Yeah, he was. He was. I think uh, Riley was pretty popular with his teammates. I think so too. And uh, I don't know. 
there might have been a few of us who thought Jay Keeps had more talent. But uh, what mattered, I guess, was the Bronco Mendenhall wanted to go with Riley. All right, let's jump out to the zone phone. Joining us now, he's our friend Andrew Reinhardt from Wasatch Medical Clinic, here to help you out with your relationship and uh, with your love life. What's going on, Andrew? Hey, Jake, that's exactly right. If there's anybody out there maybe experiencing some frustration in the bedroom, you know what I'm talking about, ED, it plagues a lot of men in a lot of relationships. Our technology is so cool because it takes the embarrassing part of ED out of the equation. You don't have to take the pill anymore. It's called acoustic wave therapy. It's clinically shown by 40 clinical studies now that are on the science page at our website to open up and regrow blood vessels. So guys end up with more blood flow. I was looking at an x-ray just the other day of blood vessels prior to the treatment, kind of shriveled up and dying. And after our treatment, significantly wider, more blood flow. That means we put a stop to the ED in the way that it should be. We do it without any pills and without any side effects. That's got to be good news to a lot of guys out there, I would think, that have been dealing with those side effects for a long, long time, that there's just there's a better way to do it. There is, and the side effects are the blurred vision, the headaches, the stuffy nose, all of that. Nobody wants to deal with that uh, when it comes to those intimate moments. They want things to work with spontaneity, and the FDA registered this device to do exactly that, get the blood flow going where you want it, when you want it. 801-901-8000 is the number to call. 801-901-8000. Get on the schedule today because uh, you guys are doing a lot for our listeners. There's so much for free. Call us now, guys, if you want to put a stop to your ED. We'll do the screening with our doctor, totally free. He'll conduct an exam. He'll do a blood flow ultrasound even, totally free, plus a little special gift that produces instant results in the bedroom. And lastly, New patients at Wasatch Medical get free testosterone. We've got it all covered. Call us now. It's free. 801-901-8000. 801-901-8000. Wasatch Medical Clinic. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you, guys. More Big Show coming up next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Big show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Want to remind you about our good friends at Zero Res. Zero Res Carpet Cleaning has been proven in lab tests to remove more dirt uh, and soils than any other method. Their powered water cleaning means no soap, no shampoos, and no toxic chemicals. Schedule your Zero Res cleaning today. Uh, let's dive into a little NBA stuff here for a, a moment, uh, Gordon. Uh, the coaching carousel continues on. And uh, the Pelicans have their new head coach, and it's none other than Stan Van Gundy, as vo- both Van Gundy, uh, both Van Gundy brothers are uh, pondering a return to the NBA coaching scene. And uh, Stan is back. What do you think about uh, him as Zion's next head coach? Uh, I, I have no problem with it. I mean, there are some people that uh, disapprove of the good old boy thing in the NBA and it keeps uh, swirling around from guys being coaching at one team and then another and then another. Is there really no other option out there anywhere that deserves a shot? 
But uh, I think Stan Van Gundy was done dirty in Orlando, don't you? Big time, but that was a long yeah. time ago. It was a long time ago. And he had ago. a really mediocre stop between here and there in I'm uh, all, Detroit. I'm all for if you get uh, if you get called in for an interview, then hire the best guy. Hire the, the guy who can do the job better than anyone else. If it's Stan, Stan Van Gundy, then, then so be it. Um, and I have no reason to believe that he's underqualified, so... Uh, we'll see how that goes. Maybe they feel like they needed a veteran coach to to bring uh, to bring those young players uh, along. And uh, two ways you can look at it: you can look at it like, okay, get a younger coach and have him grow along with the young stars on that team, or you can bring in the old veteran to sort of form what needs to be formed uh, with those young players. You know, now that I think about it, Stan Van Gundy has uh, been done dirty twice. You remember when Pat Riley fired him to take the reins of the of the Heat because he knew he had a really good team? You remember that? <laughs> well, no, was that Stan? Yeah, it was Stan. That's where right. he, he fired him midseason. He's like, I'm taking over here. <laughs> I'd forgotten that. And then Orlando, yeah. It uh, you know the Magic really couldn't have handled that situation any worse because oh, they lost horrible. Stan and Dwight, and, Dwight, and Dwight Howard, and Dwight Howard just was I mean that was not that was not the way to handle the situation. But I I do love that that the president of the team fires the coach to step in and take the reins of a championship. Yeah, that's downright Popovichian, <laughs> very much so. Hey, I've got Shaq and Dwayne Wade. Step aside, Stan. <laughs> It's like uh, when, when the guy, you go in to get your oil changed, and an underling does everything, and then the manager walks out and puts the little right. uh, cap back on and goes, you're good to go. <laughs> A lot of work went into this, baby. Ooh, sweated. <laughs> yeah. Or your daughter does all the work on a Heisman ballot, and then- Hypothetically. Yeah, and then your name's on it when it when it gets mailed in. Who was the coach that was recently hired who um, you know most outsiders had never heard of? Um, was that was that uh, Indiana? Yeah, well, they, they hired, hired the Raptors assistant coach, right? Nick Nurse's assistant. Yeah, What's that, what was that guy's name? Bjor, again? Bjor Gherkin or something. Yeah, I, I mean, I maybe many people inside the NBA know the guy, but uh, it, it wasn't one of those hires where you went, Bjork. "Oh, wow, okay, yeah, that 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 name is going to draw some interest." Nate Bjorkeren. I kind of like that idea. Yeah. I think, you know, retread coaching will, will always be a thing because people are scared to take a risk, you know. Uh, and also, you know, a lot of coaches get to the highest level at the NBA because they're, they're pretty good, and then circumstances change around. So, I'd, you know, you say, well, identify the right guy for the job. Well, that's pretty tough to do sometimes. I, I wonder how many times a certain coach has been left by the wayside, and had he been hired, it would have made a difference. I, I there's no way of knowing that obviously, but it makes you wonder uh, if just a, a few decisions had been made differently, what effect that could have brought. Right. I I know you know we don't uh, experience a lot of coaching searches in this state. We just don't. I mean, the coaches around here have tend to stay here, right? Uh, but the, it was interesting that the Jazz coaching search after after Ty Corbin. Because the, you remember there was a, a bunch of retreads that were rumored for the job, right? You know, Alvin Gentry and I guess Jim Boylan wasn't a retread. I never took that rumor seriously, by the way. I don't think you did either. 
Um, you know that that was out there, but then the Jazz went a different direction with a with a kind of an up and up and coming coach. But I I just you know Stan Van Gundy is he really gonna gonna make the Pelicans any better? I mean is I, that is, I don't know. I don't he think might. so. Uh, I certainly yeah, wouldn't let him might. run my franchise because he was a terrible general manager. Well, I well, I guess we're gonna find out, but we're not part of the interview process. And I don't like the idea of just hiring the guys that are familiar to you. Uh, obviously, it's not our decision, but uh, I like I like giving everybody an equal opportunity, if at all possible. But if in the interview he had uh, a really good idea on how to bring Zion along and and others, then then maybe you know. Uh, then okay, we weren't there to hear it, so maybe he's got a good plan. Hey, Steve. Steve Ballmer today said that the Clippers hired the best coach in the NBA. Frankly, about Ty Lue, oh, really that's, better coach. That's a strong, Ty Lue, strong take there. Stan Van Gundy. I have no idea. I don't well, know I mean, Ty Lue was a, a, a really great coach when he had LeBron. Again, I always, <laughs> I always mention the the Simpsons, the baseball Simpsons, where Mr. Burns was the manager. And he yells at Daryl Strawberry. He yells, hey, Strawberry, hit a home run. And then, of course, Daryl Strawberry does. And then Mr. Burns goes, I told him to do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, well, any uh, coach. I bet, I bet Stan Van co- Gundy would be good coaching LeBron. Any coach worth his, uh, worth his salt, he will admit that he, he can't do jack squat without the right players. Right. Remember how Jerry Sloan used to say that all the time. You know, I mean, it takes the right players to, to be a good coach. Hey, LeBron, go out there and uh, run over that guy and dunk on him. <laughs> like that? <laughs> Get run I told over him like to that? do that. Well, and then there's Maybe one more, that, gone. Yes, there's one more yes. gone but not forgotten. And that's uh, our sweet days, or our sweet Lucy. Uh, at the age of 12, she was run over oh, yes. in our driveway. Oh, oh, like that? Was she run over like <laughs> that? <laughs> I told oh. him to do that. Oh, like that? Uh, so I, I don't know. He says, who was that? I can't remember. A bad person. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know who who's a better coach, Stan Van Gundy or, or Ty Lue. I certainly don't think Ty Lue is, is the best coach uh, in the game. But let me ask you, can I throw, throw a, a conspiracy theory past you? Sure. So the Rockets are, are rumored to be interested in, in Jeff Van Gundy for his mm-hmm. second run uh, with the franchise. And are they just going to pay Jeff Van Gundy a zillion dollars to come coach the team because nobody else wants to coach that team? Well, that's a possibility. I mean, James Harden isn't the most uh, pliable individual uh, you can coach. Well, and I and Tillman Fertitta, there was a, he made recent public comments that oh, we don't need to blow anything up. Our window is still very much open. So a coach steps into that pressure cooker where from day one you're expected to be a title contender with a team that is seriously flawed from a roster standpoint. Mm-hmm. Why would you want to step into that situation? Unless it, it, it reminds me of like uh, Phil Jackson and the, and the Knicks, you know, where uh, Dolan's like, you know what, I'm going to pay Phil Jackson $12 million a year because nobody else wants to run my franchise. <laughs> Because of me. 
Right. So I, I wonder what head coach would actually want to step into that situation in Houston, where it's a unique position because you've got a two unique players, but specifically a unique player in James Harden, who's used to playing one way. And my guess is he really likes it, where he has the ball 99% of the time, because who wouldn't like that? And is he the problem, or is it the other guy? Well, I think it's the team they've well, constructed right. around him. But if you're going to be a one-player team, well, that player better be the best player in the league, or you're not getting there. And that's what Houston is. They're a one-player, occasionally a two-player team. And that number two player, as you point out, Austin, Russell Westbrook, is extremely flawed. Extremely flawed. So how do you how do you develop a winning game plan that would be a championship contender with that roster? Mike D'Antoni did the best he could. Well, they almost they they were just what a point or two shy two years ago. That was a long time ago in basketball it, it, it terms. It was a while ago, but I think James Harden is is a unique enough talent that you might be able to get some stuff done with him. Uh, but but the other players have to know their roles and be willing to play them. You stand and, there, and if you actually get a shot, you better make it. Remember yep. that James Harden, he, it wasn't unusual for him to get 10 assists in a game. Right, but the, uh, we've talked about this before. The assist is not the measure of unselfishness that I it understand. used to be. But it's not like he's completely hogging the ball all the time. Well, he he is, though, because the, <laughs> he gets the assist because he dribbles for 23 seconds and then dishes it to a, a teammate. That's how he gets assist. Is that really being an unselfish basketball player where it's like, all right, I'm going to try and get mine for 99% of the time, and if for some reason the defense takes it away from me, then you better make a shot. Well, if he was getting that many assists, though, then he must have been making some good decisions. I mean, Russell Westbrook averaged a triple-double. Does he strike you as a very unselfish player? (laughs) Barking at teammates to get away from uh, his rebounds off of free throws? Does that sound like a guy who was out for the the glory of his teammates? Well, a lot of it depends on attitude, and maybe that's where the coach comes in to see if you can uh, rearrange some attitudes. Uh, Russell Westbrook, I think, if he thought the right way, could help James Harden and vice versa, but he would have to be of the right mindset, and I, I don't know whether that's possible. See, I, I don't think Russell Westbrook can help James Harden because their games don't fit together. You have to play Russell Westbrook at the center because he's such a bad shooter. I mean, that's what, what uh, Dan Tony did last year because you can't if – you, if you have an actual center – then all of a sudden now you have two guys in the lane and it actually hurts James Harden's game. But you don't have to play him at center. You do, that's though, because you don't have to guard him. You d- but you get my point? Like, outside of 10 feet, you don't have to guard Russell Westbrook. So he has to be your center because his guy is going to be in the paint at all times. I'm I'm not sure I agree with that completely. But I know you're anti Guys who don't hit a high percentage of their perimeter shots. Well, uh, we're going to run this by our friend David Locke at 5 o'clock because I've heard him talk about this often. I'm not saying that it's ideal. And it would take an adjustment of attitude, like I said, but I don't know whether that's possible. Or for him to learn how to shoot the basketball overnight. (laughs) You know, that might do it. 
Uh, let's jump out of the zone phone. Joining us now from Wasatch Medical Clinic, our friend Andrew Reinhardt. And, uh, Andrew, uh, folks out there uh, suffer in silence when it comes to ED a lot. And uh, you guys uh, are getting the message out that uh, there's a really great treatment and you don't need to be ashamed of it. Yes, that's exactly right. I think erectile dysfunction has existed since the beginning of man, probably. We're talking about it more lately, so I like that. But the majority of guys still think they're less of a man if they have erectile dysfunction. They will never get it treated. They'll continue taking pills and supplements and suffering the side effects. But you don't have to. And our treatments, the acoustic wave therapy, eliminate all of the embarrassment out of ED. You don't have to, you know, uh, slip away to take the pill, get a glass of water, deal with that hangover feeling the next day. With just a few short treatments of about 10 minutes, the average guy can get back to normal function in the bedroom. He does it without the pill. That's pretty quick. Think two to three weeks from now. You could be done with the medication, put a stop to the erectile dysfunction. Our technology is clinically proven to work time and time again. And uh, there's a bunch of great studies out there that you guys are really excited about right now too, right? We are, yeah. We had 12 clinical studies on the science page at wasatchmedicalclinic.com as of maybe three weeks ago. There's now 40, and they are growing every month. All of the big journals are saying, hey, guys have been taking the pill forever. There's finally a breakthrough. This is a medical breakthrough. It truly is. Cambridge, the American Urological Association, and many others, they all conclude the same thing. It works. It's safe and effective. There's no side effects. And it's a long-lasting solution for ED. 801-901-8000. 801-901-8000. Get on that schedule and get in to see the doctor because there's a lot of benefits right now. Yeah, there's so much for free. And by the way, you can come in for this screening and you may say, you know what? These treatments are not for me. Take the free. Take the information. There's no obligation to proceed. But call us right now. We will do the assessment, the exam for free. We'll throw in a special gift proven to produce instant results in the bedroom. I've never seen it fail. That's free. Also, new patient, uh, new patients right now get free testosterone. So there's a lot of free out there, guys, if you're ready to put a stop to the erectile dysfunction. 801-901-8000. 801-901-8000. Wasatch Medical Clinic. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, guys. All right. We'll get more uh, straight ahead. Don't forget, Chris, uh, Christian Cox will be on the show at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. David Lockett, 5. It's the big show. 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Sweet, Big show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Want to remind you about our friends at uh, Action Plumbing, Heating, and Electrical. Mention this ad and receive $33 off any service. Call today, 801-833-3333. That's Action Plumbing. We're going to talk to Christian Cox coming up at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. Did you know that he uh, played for the Patriots, Gordon? Yeah, I had a cup of coffee, Will. Yeah, he did. Yeah, I think he plays the clarinet as well. Speaking of uh, overused, uh, yes, you know, <laughs> storylines. Yeah, that does that, that fits right in there. Uh, we we love Christian, and uh, we'll talk to uh, to him coming up next. You know, I had a brief stint with playing the clarinet in the NFL. 
Uh, we're gonna. You know what? I want to ask uh, Christian about uh, about Bill Belichick and what he thinks about uh, what he's going through this year post Tom Brady. Did you uh, hear his mic'd up comments uh, during the game on Sunday? Uh, Belichick's or Christian mm-hmm. Cox's? No. <laughs> no. Because uh, the answer I was is mic'd up. I was mic'd up for a minute in the NFL. Because <laughs> the answer to that is neither. Uh, was it, it was uh, was it entertaining? It, 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 entertaining is not the word. It's just that Belichick, you know, he, he he keeps everything so close to the vest that when you do see an opportunity or have an opportunity to hear what he says to players, it's uh, it's it's kind of a sneak peek. I I uh, enjoyed hearing uh, what he says on the sideline because he seems to me like a really boring guy. Uh, yeah, I, maybe that would be a fair assessment. Although those who have been close to him through the years have said that he's got a pretty good sense of humor. He just doesn't show it much. Okay. He just, just seems to me kind of boring. And, and, and is a sense of humor really what you're looking for, uh, when you're looking for insightful sideline comments? Bill Belichick's over there cracking knock, knock, knock jokes no, on he, third and he two? Was, no, he wasn't cracking jokes. Uh, that wasn't the, uh, essence of it at all. But I think it was... Was it Trevor Riley who told us about that? We've talked to Trevor about it in the past. Yeah, when he had his brief stint with the uh, with the Patriots. So, Have you seen but, Belichick's Subway commercial? Yes, where he just stands there. Uh huh. Yeah, that's he's boring. He is. Boring. But the, yeah, but the whole that's the whole joke. It's a play on his boring intimidation factor. You know, he's boring. Lost to the Broncos. Boy. Lost to the Dunks. <laughs> And, and Six field goals. So stupid. This is so dumb. All right, let's jump out to the zone phone. Christian will join us next. Uh, but joining us now, our friend Andrew Reinhardt from Wasatch Medical Clinic. Uh, stop dealing with uh, the side effects from those peel- pills, right, Andrew? Yes, the side effects uh, of the pills for ED um, include a whole host of headaches and blurred vision. What you're doing when you take the pill is you are increasing blood flow a little bit, uh, but it does it throughout the whole body. So that's why you get bloodshot eyes. That's why you wake up with a headache the next day. Whereas when we're referring to erectile dysfunction, we need something targeted. We want the blood to go where we want it, when we want it. That is what our treatments do. And we have helped thousands of guys with this acoustic wave technology, FDA registered, clinically shown to improve blood flow. If you get 40 or 50 percent more blood flow in the bedroom what would that do to your intimacy life it would probably improve it a lot it would get you to a point where you don't have to take the pill anymore with a few short treatments that's what we can achieve and it's been a game changer for a lot of couples you treat the the actual problem and not just the symptom that makes a lot of sense We do. If you look at x-rays as a man ages, probably sooner than we all want to admit, maybe it even starts in our 30s and 40s, but blood vessels start to get a little clogged. They start to shrivel up and die, and the blood flow just can't get through those already tiny blood vessels. So any disruption causes some erectile dysfunction. And then you look at those blood vessels after the treatments, they're significantly wider, and there's actually more of them. So that's a great thing in putting a stop to the ED. 801-901-8000, 801-901-8000. 801-901-8000, 801-901-8000. Wasatch Medical Clinic can get on that schedule because there's a lot free going on right now. 
There's so much for free. The first step in treating the erectile dysfunction is calling us and setting up this screening with a doctor. That will ensure you're a good candidate. He'll even conduct a blood flow ultrasound, and we'll do it all free. So call us now if you'd like to get that set up. No charge. 801-901-8000. Wasatch Medical Clinic. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you. We'll have more coming up next, 97.5, 1280 The Zone.